Father, uh, we do lift up this time tonight and look forward to it. Thank you, God, for getting us here. What a joy it is to look out and, and uh, uh, Lord, all of us wanting to come and seek you and have fellowship with you. And it begins in your word as we open up your word, Lord, and, and look at Peter and what he had to say about how this world is going to end and what's gonna happen, Lord. I, I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, it would touch our hearts and that we would glean from him the uh, reaction that we should have, how that should impact our lives. And Lord, it doesn't matter whether we're in, in a spiritual high or doing really, really great or uh, low and things are going on that are hard for us to handle. We still, Lord, have the opportunity to rightly have a relationship with you, rightly react to what's going on. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we began last time in, in chapter three. Peter kind of sort of shifts. He was talking about, again, about false teachers, and he began about the false teachers and the mockers of the idea that Jesus is coming back and kind of spoke directly to them. Now Peter, I love this. Now Peter is going to give us this eschatology or Peter's view on end times, right? And here's what I love. Peter's view is real simple, Peter's not a complicated guy. I think he was from Bisbee because he's not complicated. He doesn't overcomplicate things. He just like gives it out there and says, here it is. So here's the deal. When we're talking about how this world is gonna end, we can either listen to man, man's philosophies, everything that's going on and get confused or we can read our Bible and believe our Bible. And Listen, it doesn't mean that we're going to have all the answers. I think, I think, I think we're going to have questions. I think we're going to have questions about eschatology after we're in heaven. And I think we're going to be learning and growing. So it's not that we're going to have all the answers, but we're going to have assurance. And Peter is convinced that we need assurance. So again, there are those who are mocking it. They were mocking it in the first century. So surely there are people mocking it today. Now, Peter gives us the answer for global warming that I think is important as we read this. Somebody got it over there. Good. So he does give us the answer about global warming. So in verse 8, let's pick it up, verse 8. He says, but beloved. So here's the contrast, right? There are those who are mocking, those who are making fun of it. And then Peter let us know, just as sure as the Lord created everything and just as sure as he bought, brought the flood that flooded the whole world, all of that, listen, God was in control of all of that. And he tells us then, he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. So I think this one thing is kind of two things. But he says, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, you need to understand something. Peter is not giving us a formula of how to tell time God's way, right? He's not like, he's not disclosing the secret and he's surely not disclosing the secret on how to figure out Genesis chapter one. Thought I'd lay that out there. Listen, he's not doing, that's not what he's doing. As a matter of fact, he says that a day is, or a day is, is as is a thousand years. He's, he's making a comparison, a simile, some people say. So again, he's not saying a day is a thousand years and a thousand years are a day. He says, in God's world, there's not time. 
And I, we can't comprehend that. Listen, we live in a time-based and a linear world. We, we, that's all we know, right? We can't, it's hard to comprehend, even for people from Bisbee, it's hard to comprehend no time, right? You're trying to put that together. I mean, I, I stop and think about it, and it sort of blows my mind. But Peter makes, this is kind of a bold statement coming from a fisherman, right? A fisherman who's been saved. And he's talking to him now, I think Peter was familiar with Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, listen, it tells us this. It says, for a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You think Peter read his Bible? I think so. Hey, he might have been the fisherman guy, but I think he was in touch with the Lord. And so he's letting people know you need to know something. Don't get all uptight about what's happening and what's going on. And don't let those guys mock and make fun of something that is, number one, it's out of our control. We cannot control when the Lord's coming. He's gonna give us a hint at the end of some things we can do, but we can't control it. We can't, we can't give a time frame. It sort of always cracks me up when people try and give a time frame. And uh, you know, the thing is, they're almost always wrong. Do you remember, I was in Bible college when 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. <laughs> Any of you remember that book, Lit? Anybody? Oh, there we go, yay. It was a little, little booklet that came out and a year after he had 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. And the last one was because he didn't come back in 88. So, listen, you have, you have these people trying to set up things and it doesn't work. And here's what we need to know. God has his own calendar, quote, his own timetable. And here's the thing, he's not given us that information. So Peter says, number one, here's what he's saying. In some ways, just stop worrying about it. Don't get uptight about it. Don't freak out about it. And definitely don't listen to those scoffers and mockers and those people who are making fun of it and telling us, hey, this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen. So that's number one. He says, listen, this one reason, now I think here's another one. In verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So here's what they're saying. Well, God promised to come, why isn't he here? And some people even today might say that, right? You're gonna tell them Jesus is coming back. By the way, I think we have a responsibility to let this generation know that Jesus is coming back. I remember when I got saved and found out Jesus was coming back, I was kind of torqued that nobody told me this when I was younger. I think that's an important fact, right? I think it's something we need to tell people. We're not giving the fact of when, but he is coming back. And so why is he not, why is he not showing up? And Peter gives us a little bit of a clue here. Again, it's not based on a calendar or, or different things. He says, listen, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as, or his promises some or count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us. Let's just stop there before we read on. Aren't you glad that God's patient towards us? I am totally stoked that God waited to come back till I got saved, right? Because here's what I know, once he comes back, the game's over. And so, man, I am really glad. So he says, listen, he's not, he's not like just slack. What is he? He's patient. 
That's good to think about, right? Number one, our God is patient. But he goes a little bit further. Listen, he, and, and, and the New King James says long-suffering. That's another word for patience, right? He's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yes. That's what it's about. Why is God taking so long? Because God wants people saved. In spite of, in spite of what some theologies tell you and, and some people try and tell you, it's God's desire. Check this out. Read these for homework. Ezekiel, I'm going to read them. But read the, you know, for homework, you've got to read Ezekiel. You've got to read Revelation. You've got to read uh, all the minor prophets, kind of get an idea of what's happening here. But listen to, what, listen to what he told Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 18, he says this. Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? And then in chapter 33, he says this. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you hear the heart of God? And that's the same thing being expressed here, right? He says, listen, man, and, and it cracks me up with people with certain theological bents. They go, well, he didn't really mean willing, he didn't really mean any, and he didn't really mean all. So you kind of said he didn't really mean anything. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I understand, I understand how you can manipulate that, and, and I get it, my Calvinistic buddies. I understand where you're coming from, and I understand your theology, but it's not biblical. God's heart is that people get saved. That's the heart of God. Amen. And the problem when we kind of get away from that is we lose the whole heart of God and the love of God. I was reading something about trying to stop the love of God. It's like trying to stop rain. You can't stop the rain, can you? But here's what you can do. You can get an umbrella and go out and block the rain. And you know what? You can block the love of God in your life by sinning, by getting hardened towards him. Doesn't mean he stops loving. It means you've blocked that love. And, and we need to understand that. So Peter here is letting us know, why is, God, why is God taking so long? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but again, I'm glad he waited till me. But then after I got saved, I'm kind of wanting him to come back. Right? And there are some days I want him to come more than other days. But I want him to come back. And it's sometimes like, why are you taking so long? And he says, because, man, I want people to get saved. God's timetable is based on God's love. Think about that. Not, he's not some, some people have him as this mean ogre and man, I can hardly wait till I come back and I can stomp on you people. No, he's delaying his coming. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. Now, I'm gonna quote John Calvin. Listen to what, this is great. Listen to what John Calvin says. So wonderful is his love towards mankind that he would have them all to be saved and is of his own self prepared to bestow salvation on the, on the lost. Every one of us, therefore who, therefore, who is desirous of salvation must learn to enter by his way. 
That's John Calvin. That doesn't sound very Calvinistic, does it? It's interesting how people take a theology or somebody's ideas and kind of take them in a direction that they never went. And here's what's saying, here's what he's saying, that God's desire, now we do need to get the last part of this because it's important. It's God's desire that all should, did you pick up? Come to repentance. Oh, God has one way and one way only. And you gotta come his way and you have to, you have to repent. There has to be a change in your in your mind, I think, which then is an equivalent to a change in your heart, which then is an equivalent to a change in your life. And so that's the heart of God. So Peter says, hey, you guys, I know they're mocking, I know what they're saying, but you need to understand, God's not on a timetable. He's not fixed and fixed on this time thing. As a matter of fact, God's calendar is not a you know chronological calendar, Let's put it this way, it's a calendar of love. That kind of sounds good, huh? It's a calendar of love that God has and he's working on that timetable. Now, as far as global warming, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now before we go on, here he, listen, now he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is different in some ways than the second coming of Christ. I think the second coming of Christ begins the day of the Lord because he comes and takes his church and we're raptured. And if you don't wanna believe in, in the pre-trib rapture, that's okay. You know, that, the, the rapture, I believe, will trigger the tribulation which starts the day of the Lord, which ends after the end of the millennium. So if you wanna say, no, I don't believe in that. If you wanna go through the tribulation, go for it. You know, I, I mean, I just, theologically, I don't think it makes sense, but if you want to, you can do that. It's, well, not really. <laughs> do you know even if you're a post-tribber, if I'm right and it's a pre-trib, God's gonna rapture you. You might be disappointed <laughs> as you're on your way to heaven, but you know what? You have to get over it, right? <laughs> but here's what he's saying. He's saying the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Does that sound kind of familiar? In Matthew, Jesus said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known when the hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So listen, even though I believe the rapture is gonna trigger that, I believe people in the world are still gonna reject it. And they're gonna have explanations, they're gonna do things, they're not gonna accept it, and that's why he can come as a thief, right? And he's gonna show up, just like in the days of Noah. Listen, Noah preached the gospel for 120 years. The guy is building a boat and had no water. It's like, build a boat in Arizona. A huge one, not just a little boat, a huge one, a big one. You could be Jeff Bezos and build a boat and have to tear a bridge down to get your boat out of the place, but build a boat. It's a whole nother topic, right? But build a boat in Arizona, what are people gonna say? You are out of your ever-loving mind. And you would say, yeah, but the Lord's coming. And isn't that what Noah was saying? Hey, you gotta get right. And they rejected him. It was just like, and the surpri surprise of all surprises, it started raining. 
and water was coming up from the ground. So all of that happened. So just like that, listen, just like that, the day of the Lord is gonna come just as a thief in the night in which, in verse 10, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Here's what he's saying, man, when that happens at the end. Now, now we're talking about you go through the tribulation, intense things are gonna happen, but at the end of the millennium, man, it is going to be intense. This place is gonna be destroyed by fire. That is going to, that's a promise from God. And, and again, I, I talk to some environmentalists sometimes and I tell them, I totally believe in global warming. Not the same global warming you believe, but I totally believe in global warming. It is going to happen. And you know what? On that line, I don't think we can destroy this place. Now, I'm not saying we should try. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good to, you know, not take care of. Didn't God give us this place and tell us to take care of it? So we should be responsible, you know, people taking care of it. But here's what I know. Even if we tried really hard, we're not going to destroy it. Why? Because God is going to come and take care of things. So now, again, don't go out and try and prove me wrong. Pat, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna burn this place down. Listen, but we should, we should take care of it. But here's the thing, when he comes, everything that we know, and it's interesting how he says this, that you know the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and you kind of get the idea, it's gonna be radical when it happens. A lot of people compare it to when they were testing atomic bombs after, you know, during World War II and doing things, and then after World War II, and they were setting some off. I didn't, I didn't get into any of that, and, and uh, you know, you could watch some tests on TV and stuff. I remember as a, as a kid in grade school how they would tell us that, you know, there could be a nuclear war, those who were close to my age, remember, in grade school, and what did they tell us to do? Get under your desk. It's like, seriously? Seriously, you think this desk is going to save me from an atomic blast? It always cracked me up the things they told us. When I was in the Army, we would have drills for if you were out and you were out in, you know, in the field and you saw a great blast, which would mean an atomic blast, right? Here's what they told us. I'm not exaggerating. They said, get your poncho out. Do you know what a poncho is? It's a nylon thing. Get your poncho out and put it over you and get under it and close the hood, the, the neck part up over you like this and you'll be fine. I think they were making body bags. That's what I think they were doing. I think because they could just come by and skip, scoop up the bags and take you away. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that was ridiculous. I told my wife, don't ever throw this away. See this little thing? This is our safety against all nuclear blasts. She threw it away. I don't have my poncho anymore, so now I feel unsafe. That's what this is gonna be like, though. I mean, I think all of us had a fear at one time of that happening, and I think we still should be a little bit freaky about that. But this is going to be the, quote, atomic blast of all atomic blasts. And he says there's gonna be such a noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and he says both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up or laid bare. Listen, God is going to take everything and expose it. 
All of that is gonna happen. So here's what Peter is telling us. You need to understand the Lord is coming. I don't care what mockers say. I don't care how people make fun of it. You need to understand, and I don't care how long it takes. He's coming back. He's coming back, and when he comes back, listen, when he comes back, it is going to be intense. And the only reason he's waiting is because I believe there's a number of people to get saved. My Bible tells me in Romans, there's a number of Gentiles that need to get saved. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you better get saved. Because you may be the one holding us up. It's all on you. You might be that last one. And if, if you're holding us up, man, I really don't like you. But listen, he says, God is waiting, why? He's waiting for people to change, to repent. But when he comes, it's gonna be a time like no other time. I don't even think we can imagine. I think that's why Peter was so brief on it. Here's what happened. So that's Peter's eschatology. How should that affect us then? How should that touch us as we read this? Shouldn't it have an effect on how we live our lives and what we do, how we conduct ourselves? Well, that's, a, that's what Peter thinks. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of people ought you to be, or what manner of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Francis Schaeffer wrote a, a book, a good book, How Then Should We Live? And kind of a challenge. And it's an older writing. He's, you know, he's another old dead guy. And you read it, man, and it just hits your heart. And, and here's what Peter's saying. If that's true, and Jesus is coming back, and the only thing holding him back is the fact that there are people who need to be saved before he comes back and repent, and if it's really gonna melt and all of that is really gonna take place and, and it's going to happen. And listen, he says, when you look at all of those things and everything's gonna be dissolved, how then should you live? Should you live as somebody collecting material things and grabbing a hold of material things or should you live a little bit different? Now again, I don't think there's anything wrong with owning things, but don't let things own you. And Peter says, how should we live? If Jesus is really coming back, shouldn't we live a little bit different? Shouldn't we conduct our lives a little bit different and be people who, man, we want to live more according to God's word than according to our ways and keeping our ways and walking in that way? And so we need to be people that we need to understand. There is a judgment coming. And it's coming for the whole world. There's nobody that's going to escape it. For homework, check out these passages. Here's just a couple passages in the Old Testament that talk about it. Check out these passages, he's coming, and he's coming in judgment. And it's going to happen. Jesus came the first time to save us, the second time he's coming to judge the world. And all of that is gonna take place. So then, how should we live? How should we conduct ourselves? And, and I love the way Peter puts it. He says, listen, how should you conduct yourself to be in holy conduct and godliness? Shouldn't we conduct ourselves in a holy way? and living a godly way and, and walking that way. Here's some 2 Thessalonians chapter two and Matthew 24, same challenge, he's coming back. Let that affect your life. It's not just, listen, it's not just pie in the sky, it's not just, you know, Jenkins and, and you know, the, the Left Behind series, all of that. Jesus is coming back 
And it's important for us to understand that. And we should live a certain way. And I think what, what Peter's challenging us, shouldn't we be telling everybody we know that Jesus is coming back? Shouldn't we be trying to get them into heaven? Listen, if God is long-suffering and waiting for people to repent, shouldn't we be kind of jerking them into the kingdom of heaven? I know some of you guys don't like that saying, but I think we should, come on. I don't want to believe. Come on, you got to believe. Come on, right now. And we should be like people who are so intent. But man, we should know that that end is near. For homework, read Revelation. I'll just give you a couple chapters. Read Revelation chapter 6, chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 6, chapter 20, and chapter 21. Just read those chapters and find out what it's like and what it's going to be like. And it's sort of like, listen, how should we live? Shouldn't we have kind of a bittersweet idea? Like, I really look forward to coming at Jesus. But I also have some heartburn about it. Number one, I got people close to me who aren't saved. Number two, I really believe he's gonna judge. And I I don't know about you guys, but I I don't want anybody having to suffer the eternal wrath of God. I want everybody to get saved. And it's kind of that bittersweet thing. And in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 10 around there. So for homework, read 7, 8, 9, 10, then, oh, 6. You might as well start with 6, right? 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and then jump to the 20s and do that. I think it's chapter 10 where God offers, I was going to say Peter, John, right? John's in Revelation. He offers John the book, right? And he says, eat this. And remember he ate it and it was so sweet, but then it turned bitter. Why was it sweet and then bitter? The sweetness is, man, we get to go be with Jesus. The bitterness is, he's judging. So how should we live? Shouldn't we be trying to drag people into the kingdom? Shouldn't that be our goal and the things that we strive for and look for? And listen, man, it's on our heart day and night. So here's what he says, man. He says, think about how you're living and how you're gonna do that. And he says, but, he says, looking in verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord of God, not the day, day of the Lord, but the day of God, which is a little bit different, and I'll explain that in a minute. But here's what he's saying. How can I hasten that? There's only one way I know to hasten it is to get people saved. If there's a certain number of Gentiles that have to come in, then I need to grab every Gentile I can and let them know, come on, if you come on. And you might even tell people, hey, you might be holding me up. So right now, you need to accept Jesus. And we don't know who that last one is, do we? So how can I hasten? He says, we should be busy about hastening this and making this day of God happen. Now, now here's kind of an interesting thing because I think the day of God is the eternal state when, when God has subdued all of his enemies. And here's some references to the day of God in Psalm 110, Acts chapter two, 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians two and three, and Hebrews 10, 13. Listen, man, he's like spelling that out. And that's the heart of Peter and are our hearts that way? He says, listen, we need to be hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
So once again, that's going to happen. It's going to take place. And you and I need to understand that. When Noah was building the ark, nobody believed him. I even wonder if his kids, he had a hard time convincing them. I know Lot had a hard time convincing his family to come out of Sodom, right? And I'm wondering if Noah's kids, we don't have a lot of information, but I wonder if they're going, seriously, Dad, you are such an embarrassment. <laughs> like, man, I go to school and people are going, what is your dad doing? He's building a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> it's a thing that floats. What's floating? Well, when water gets real deep, you gotta float. Well, what's that? <laughs> well, it's gonna rain. We never had rain. So kind of imagine that, and, and maybe it was like the whole thing, man, Dad, I have to go to school, and I try and explain these things, and people mock me and make fun of me and do things, huh? Now, our kids go to school, tell people Jesus is coming, people mock them. Yeah, Dad, why do you keep saying? And especially if you're a pastor, teacher, Dad, I can't believe you're up there saying that stuff. And then I got to go to school and I got to listen to the kids. And they're saying, sure, Jesus is coming. Sure. I understand global warming, but I don't understand Jesus coming back. And so we have the same dilemma going on, don't we? Same thing. And people are going to doubt. And just because people doesn't believe doesn't change it a bit. Just because people reject it doesn't change it. And you and I need to know, man, we have a responsibility to this generation. So he says, listen, man, all of the elements are going to melt. Now, I read that, and, and that's frightening, isn't it? Isn't that sort of frightening to think that this place is going to be totally destroyed? The world that we live in. I think it's a pretty cool place. I don't know about you guys. I love to travel around. I love to look at things. I, I like to look at things as not from, quote, a, you know, a science view or a geologist view. I like to look at him and be like, man, my God made that. How cool is that? And you see, I mean, you see magnificent things. I mean, just looking. Have you ever just looked at the sky? And have you ever looked at the sky where it meets the earth? I mean, the colors blend beautifully. They don't clash. They're not a mess. Everything's beautiful. And our God did a beautiful job creating this. And we're messing it up as much as we can, but he did a great job creating this. Someday it's all going to burn. Not just our material things, everything. This planet is going to go away. I read the end of the book. I know some people get a little freaked out. Oh, I really like this place. It's going away. So Peter says then, Man, we have that responsibility, but nevertheless, I love this, right? Nevertheless, verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, what do we do? We look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yes. Amen. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that new heaven and that new earth, and God has promised that, so Here's what I think, man. If this is good, and I think it is, if he's making a brand new one, woo, and he's been working on it all this time, right? Are you remember, remember the Keith Green song about, about the length of time? And hey, if God created this, this place in seven days and he's been working on the new heaven and the new earth for a few thousand years, this has got to be a garbage can. 
right? He's working like crazy on that new one, man. He did this one like here, here, hang out here for a while. Wait till you see what I'm making you. A new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah, hey, Isaiah was way ahead of his time. Listen to what Isaiah said. For behold, he's quoting God, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. You're not even gonna think about this place. That's the promise. And then the best part of this is what does Peter say? In which righteousness dwells. Yes. Do you understand once we go into the presence of God, there's no more sin? I know a lot of people get excited about no more sorrow, no more tears. I get excited about no more sin. I hate sinning. There's no more. It's gone. Righteousness is dwelling there. All of that is new. Yes. And so here's what Peter is saying. Don't worry about what the mockers say. What do they know? Look at what's going to happen. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat coming. And it's going to be intense. We're not going to be part of that heat. We're going to be out of here and we're going to be in his presence. And then he's going to make us a whole new place. And I've read the end of the book. Again, read the end of Revelation. He tells us, man, it's going to come down out of, quote, out of heaven because the heaven of heavens where God dwells is not the part that's destroyed. And it's going to come and we're going to have this whole new place. And it sounds almost like it's a cube, doesn't it? It's not going to be round. It's going to be a cube. That's kind of weird. Every time I read that, I think, huh. How does a cube work in space? God says, don't worry, I got this. It's going to be made just for you. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for, Lord, just a challenge. And I think of of, uh, Peter, and I think of kind of, quote, as some people say, this dumb fisherman writing this thing, letting us know that God, you're in control and you're working. And God, it's not up to us to try and figure out a timetable. I kinda, I kinda as, I, as I read this, I kinda understand the timetable's unknowable. And we don't need to concern ourselves with that, but we do need to concern ourselves with what we do while we're waiting. How we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves. And I thank you for the challenge from Peter that we pay attention to that and we make sure that we're in the right place and have the right heart and the right mind as we're looking for your coming. And yes, Lord, it's a beautiful thought and at the same time, it's a very somber thought that you are going to come back and settle everything. And so God, help us to focus on you and help us to focus on your plan and to reach the lost in our generation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.